you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike of the world-famous Down East Mike Podcast. How is everybody doing today? I've got to tell you, there's a little change today. I've moved the microphone over to the left-hand side of the screen. And ostensibly, I think what I'm trying to do is talk out of both sides of my mouth. Who hasn't done that? This is Down East Mike Podcast. It's Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Right up front, we'll give you our motto, our little disclaimer, that some of this is whimsy. Some of it's true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. Also, we, we don't have any mean words, just wholesome goodness from Down East Maine. It's, just, it's a historical literary auditory candy store, and we ask if you heard the bells on the door as you came in. Now, the reason for all that big preamble is just to get warmed up a little bit. I bet I lose like 30% of my listeners in the first opening segment, and that's fine. I read uh, I read yesterday that somebody said we live in a one-second world where people, we have the attention span of one second, and that sounds about right. Okay, what's on the podcast today? We have a Maine Senator, the headlines are pretty wild here, the Maine Senator, no U.S. troops in the Middle East, and that's not from today, that's from ninth, this day. October 18th in, in 1973. No evidence that UFOs exist. And that was from headline from 1973 as well. 376 miles per gallon. That's a headline from 1973 as well. And Thomas Edison. Electricity will enable a four-hour workday. That was from 1923. Those are our headlines. We'll jump right into the podcast. There's no real need to get to uh, the the world and international uh, head or local headlines because it's just awful news and you get enough of that. How about a word of the day? Ascetic. A-S-C-E-T-I-C. It's a noun. It's a person who renounces material comforts and leads a life of austere self-discipline, especially as an act of religious devotion, the ascetics. We need more of those around, don't we? In the early Christian church, one who practiced unusual self-denial and devotion, and in modern usage, one who retires from the customary business of life and engages in pious exercises, also a hermit or recluse, ascetic, and that is our word of the day, lifestyle of frugality and abstinence of various forms, often for spiritual goods. I think that's the way we could all live today. It's from the Greek. Do we have anything else on it? Practitioners are actually known as ascetics and may withdraw from the world for their practices or continue to be part of their society, but typically adopt an austere lifestyle. I think of an ascetic as like a hermit living on a rock and 
out in the out in the ocean eating barnacles and snails and waving his ragged shirt as people as the sailboats go by. Okay. How about uh let's do an illness of the instant. We'll get to some serious stuff in a second here. But our illness of the instant today is door hangers hitch. Don't worry, it's not contagious. Not many of you ever going to experience door hangers hitch. How do you describe it? Door hangers hitch is the form the human body assumes once it tries to hang a door by itself. And by why, what I mean by that is you've got the door, you've got the two hinges, right? And, it, and the, the door manufacturers today have come up with this clever way. They have one on the topmost hinge. They have a big hole. And you're supposed to go up and you carry the door up to the, to the place where it goes and you hold it up against the door frame. And you're supposed to, with one hand, balance, while balancing the door, and the other hand with the electric drill, you're supposed to balance a wood screw on that. And you're supposed to jam it into the door and secure the door that way with one arm. And the place where the balance point for the storm door, by the way, the balance point is the instep, topmost instep of your foot, uh, not on the steel toe because that would not be part of the aesthetic lifestyle, but in just back of the steel toe on the instep of your foot where it hurts the most so you're aware of what you're doing, that's where you balance the storm door, the full weight of it, and you kind of lift it up with that left foot. And then while standing on your right foot and using your right hand and the, the power drill, that's when you put in that wood screw. That position that you have assumed at that point in your life is the door hanger's hitch. Chances are you will probably be in that position for the rest of the day, depending on your age at, at onset. Um, we speak from experience on that one. But the door is in. Door hangers hitch is passed at this point until next time. I assume we won't be doing one of those anytime in the near future. On this day, October 18th, and oh, we have an anniversary. My goodness, how can we forget that? No birthdays today, but we do have an anniversary of note, and you know who you are. I'll tell you, Down East Mike's somewhat jealous of your of your wonderful relationship. You've been married for over 35 years. That's a long time to be married, a long time to be doing anything. Some people don't even live to be 35, let alone married and living with somebody else for 35 years. But 35 wonderful years of marriage. Down East Mike's a little bit jealous of that relationship, but he'll let it go and he'll celebrate that, uh, that you're still together and smiling and laughing and he also hopes that you'll cook some supper for him tonight. Okay, uh, Senator Muskie was back in the U.S. aid policy on this day in 1973. He urged on Wednesday that the U.S. continue sending supplies to Israel to maintain the balance of power in the Middle East, but I certainly would not send U.S. troops into the Middle East, he added. Muskie spoke at a news conference before addressing the Airport Operators Council International Convention here. Muskie was a candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination in 1972, and he said the U.S. should maintain 
close watch on such situations as the Middle East conflict to ensure that Congress has a role in decisions concerning U.S. involvement under the War Powers Act. Nice to know things have not changed at all. Also a story, there seemed to be a lot going on with UFOs at this time, but uh, from Thursday, October 18th, 1973, uh, a story out of Boulder, Colorado, no evidence that UFOs exist. In a two-year study that cost half a million dollars, the Air Force concluded that UFOs usually were balloons, birds, planets, planes, stars, optical illusions, radar quirks. Clouds, another natural phenomenon. Boy, talk about bursting your balloon. The study, known as Project Blue Book, said there was no evidence that UFOs came from outer space. The study began in 66, resulted in a 1,400-page report endorsed by the National Academy of Science. Is that a real building? Dr. Edward Condon, 71, a Boulder physicist, headed the study with 20 staff members. In an interview with UPI last April, Condon said most early UFO reports went to the Air Force because it's supposed to know about everything that goes on in the air. While the uh, kook reports really got thick, the Air Force should have said enough is enough, but it never did, and the newspapers kept playing up flying saucers. Eventually, the Air Force had to commission an impartial official study just to shut people up. Condon said, you have to define UFOs. If you mean any unidentified flying object, there are lots of those. But if you define a UFO as a visitor from outer space, there's no evidence that they exist. I've never seen one, and I think further study of UFOs will be scientifically useless. I think my own studies of UFOs was a waste of government money. So he was 71 at the time he was wasting government money. Story out of Rosewood Heights, Illinois, 376 miles to the gallon, but luxury items were shelved. There was a fellow named Ben Visser. He had a 1959 Opal station wagon, and he'd done a little work on it. The last time he took it for a spin, he got 376 miles per gallon. Of course, when you get better gasoline mileage, you have to sacrifice something, he said. So his car, he took out uh, the windshield, trying to cut wind resistance. That doesn't make sense. Uh, It says it operates with a one-speed transmission. We we don't have a reverse, and we go forward very slowly. I'd like to know how slow they go. He's a research engineer at the Shell Oil Refinery in Wood River, Illinois. He and a few friends spent about four years working on the wagon. And he claimed that this month's achievement of 376 miles to gallon is a world record. Uh, they slowly stripped the car down. The roof had been chopped off at about the point where the back of the front seat used to be. They moved the engine to the back and they put it sideways to eliminate one gear. Uh, all of the med- modifications are intended to reduce friction. The transmission is regulated by only two sprockets and all of the other gears and bearings have been eliminated. The rear tires have been moved so that they're side by side, and a special axle engaged only one of the back wheels, and the other one rolled freely. The car weighed about 2,400 pounds and can be pushed by one person. They took the tires from a jet airplane. He got them off a junk pile. He shaved off all the tread, 
and filled them with 200 pounds of air as compared to the normal 30 pounds for a car. For the six months before the record run, Visser worked on the car in his driveway from roughly 6 p.m. to midnight, four nights a week, plus about 12 hours a day on a Sunday. And that's where the story ends. We don't know how that car ended up, but it was an Opal. So we guys, we should go look for an Opal station wagon and get 300 miles per gallon. Another story about UFOs from 1973. John Gilligan, who was he's a governor of Ohio at the time, doesn't really know what he saw in the sky the other night, but it wasn't a bird or a plane. UFOs, uh, unidentified flying objects, have been sighted in growing numbers the last several days. The reports have increased ever since two fellows went fishing in Pascagoula, Mississippi last week and said they were briefly taken captive by reddish-looking characters and wrinkled skin who emerged from a weird-looking spacecraft. Now, the uh, the audio recording of those two guys is available. It's, I've, I've heard that recording out there on the Internet. It's pretty poor quality, uh, but it's quite disturbing to hear that that interview from those two guys. And they were interviewed separately. Very, very disturbing to hear. I don't know if it's true or not, but... Uh, Gilligan, this governor of Ohio, said he and his wife, Katie, watched a vertical-shaped amber-colored object for 30 to 35 minutes while driving near Ann Arbor, Michigan. He said he didn't know what it was, but it sure wasn't a bird or a plane. He said the object penetrated a cloud cover and disappeared when the cover broke up. Probably also disappeared when Venus went away. Uh... That doesn't explain the strange beings which the two Pascalusa fishermen, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, said they saw. Two scientists said they placed Hickson and Parker under hypnosis for four hours of questioning and are sure the two are telling the truth. I mean, I'm sure they have. So UFOs quite prominent in the news at that time. Oh, one last UFO story and we'll, we'll, stop, beat, we'll stop beating this dead horse here. Umbrella-like UFO reported in Carmel, Maine. Until Wednesday, most of the alleged sightings of unidentified flying objects were made in the South or Midwest, but a Carmel family Wednesday reported a UFO in eastern Maine. The family reported it heard a loud, rackety noise passing overhead Wednesday morning, and one woman in the family said she saw an object as it whizzed over the trees near her house. Mrs. Linny Lawrence of the Five Road here said the incident happened about 9.30 a.m. She described the object as similar to a large brown umbrella opening up and moving at a tremendous speed. In the instant before it disappeared over the trees behind her home, Mrs. Lawrence said, the object was perhaps five or six feet across. When asked if the object resembled one of the objects reported by the thousands in the early 1950s as flying saucers, the Carmel woman said that would be what you would call it. Similar reports have been coming in from all over the nation in recent weeks, particularly in the South, where the two Mississippi shipyard workers received 
Considerable publicity after being told they'd been taken aboard some sort of extraterrestrial ship and examined by three weird creatures. I liked the way the weird creatures floated across the water and picked them up. I have to wonder if the people in Carmel had just been eating mushrooms for the last three weeks. Uh, let's see, 1927, October 18th. Thomas Edison, the electrical wizard, in one of the first interviews he has ever granted newspaper men, spoke of the presidential possibilities of his friend Henry Ford and declared that it would spoil a good man if the nation sent him to the White House. Edison expressed the opinion that the automobile manufacturer was more valuable to the nation as a private citizen and then he turned to the prediction made recently by Charles Steinmetz, an inventor who's connected with uh, GE, GE General Electric. His prediction that electricity eventually would reduce the working day to four hours. With this opinion, Mr. Edison agreed. Mr. Edison, however, was not sure that the four-hour day would be a good thing for the nation. He expressed fear that too large a leisure class would be created, and this would have a bad effect, particularly on the youth. He goes on a little bit to talk about some other things. Uh, commenting on the unpopularity of new ideas, Mr. Edison declared that it took from 7 to 40 years from the initial demonstration of a beneficial device to its ultimate acceptance. I made the first dozen typewriters, he said laughing, and it took me seven years to convince the public that they wanted them, and then another three years to sell them. Within a very few years, he said, coal could be transformed into electrical energy at the mines and distributed throughout the country in high-power transmission lines, doing more quickly and efficiently the work now performed by fuel after long haulage in many handlings. Transportation costs and the various other barges now connected with getting fuel energy to the consumer would thus be eliminated. He added that he had recently discussed the problem with a group of Nova Scotia power men. He declared that Secretary Hoover's proposed superpower system was feasible. He added that whatever Hoover says is all right and, and characterized him as a level-headed man. And one more extract from this story. Uh, Edison told of experiments made by Henry Ford and taken over an old grist mill on the Rouge River in Michigan. He installed turbines, Mr. Edison said, and developed so much cheap power that the farmers served from the plant cut their work down to six hours. Manufacturing plants in the district so increased their capacity that women left the farms in the full season and earned six dollars a day in the factories. Electrical transmission, the coupling of power stations, and the development of electric railways were the most important developments in the power field, Mr. Edison declared. Asked if electric railways could be extended so as in largely replace steam-operated roads, he answered, that depends on Wall Street. The radio, he declared, has been the greatest modern factor in causing young people to think. It has widened the range of knowledge, he said, and will continue to do so. Musical and other radio entertainment features, in his opinion, sooner or later will be eliminated from programs which will be confined more in, in approaches in market quotations. He 
characterize the entertainment programs as as a fad which would not live largely because of difficulties of difficulties of perfect transmission. Well, he was wrong on that one, but you can imagine if Edison was still around today. Okay, we have a little silly story here. This is uh, from the 1800s from Nova Scotia. The, about an old-time diary. Mr. Rufus Black of Pugwash kept a diary. In it, he recounts how in 1832, when he was 14 years of age, he accompanied his mother to Cornwallis. Cornwallis used to be, I think, the naval base there in Nova Scotia, or army base. The schoolmaster was not abroad then, and his knowledge of the spelling book was somewhat limited, but he is well enough educated to make his meaning clear. He says, we went by way of Parsborough. The town was down to the island, uh, island then. A Mr. Ratchford was boss of the place then. I took notice of him. He was on horseback, given orders. We slept at Dr. Gunner's. He was mother's cousin. I like the way he spelled cousin, C-O-U-S-E-N. We went across to Horton in a schooner. We took the horse in a gig. We went to Cornwallis all over the lower towns. When we came back, we pitched the mare overboard and she swam ashore. We had a good visit. Well, I bet it was good for the horse swimming in that cold water. Seven years later, they made a visit to Halifax. And of that, he says... Mother wanted to go to Halifax to see her sister, Mrs. Woot Nan. I was of age. They were running a shop in Halifax that winter, and I told her I would find the town if she would find the money. This was in match. We stopped 18 miles from Halifax to a hotel named Schultz's. He had a pretty sister. She littered me to bed. She went to go out of the bedroom. I says, wait. I want to bid you good night. I put my arm around her neck and kissed her right on her lips before she knew where she was. You are a fast boy. I will tell your mother. Oh, do not. If you do, I will not kiss you again. She gave me one hard look and told mother, You have a pretty smart boy. What has he been doing? She blushed. I told him I would tell you. Did you box his ears? No, I told him I would tell you. Oh, how she laughed. I traveled to Halifax often after that, and she never forgot that kiss. Well, blushing, a blushing girl, a trip to Halifax, she never forgot the kiss. What a romantic story that was. You ever had your ears boxed? It hurts like hell. Okay, um, I think we're getting close to time here, so we had another story, but we'll save it for another time. I don't want to wear the listener out. I had this guy named Imbraham or something. He keeps emailing me. I can make your podcast go viral down each mic. I can make you famous. I'm like, don't you understand? I don't want this podcast to go viral. I don't want anybody to know about it. I want it to be a simple, enjoyable dialogue between you and me where we just discover things that interest us. And when our curiosity runs out, the podcast will come to a screeching halt. So our bi-weekly bird, our bird of the moment here is a great cormorant. There are less than 200 breeding pairs. There's a sharp population decline in the last five years, likely caused 
by bald eagles eating these great cormorants. So you, you get a spin, you get the bald eagle back, but the, at the expense of other species. Of course, they eat loons too. The great cormorant is currently in a threatened status in Maine, less than 200 breeding pairs. Now, the cormorant's the one you see sitting on the rocks with its wings out. And they, they spread their wings out. Uh, we have a story here from the Mount Desert Islander. Ruth Grierson wrote this story. Even in the midst of a Maine winter in January, nature has a beautiful scenery and wildlife surprises. A nice sighting of a great cormorant came into view as a friend explored along the Ocean Drive this week. In the summer, we frequently see common cormorants near the shores sitting on rocks and docks as they dry their wings. You often see them swimming about looking for fish. As this colder season arrives, the common cormorants are in the south where it's warmer. The birds are similar, but the great cormorant is larger. It's the largest of the six cormorants found in North America. Okay, here's our description. The great cormorant is a large, chunky bird with a large, chunky neck. They sit low in the water. They seem to generally have a heavy set look. Their head is blocky. If you suspect you see a cormorant, it is most apt to be the great cormorant at this time of year in the winter, like February. Their bill is hooked for its use to extract fish from crevices in underwater rocks. The great cormorant dives from the surface with a small leap in pursuit of food, and it dives deeper than a common cormorant that is only able to dive to 30 feet. Both cormorants have to sit and dry their wings after diving, unlike loons and ducks that do not have to do this. Uh, definitely larger than a common cormorant, but it's smaller than a pelican. They're about the size between somewhere between a crow and a goose. Uh, as we noted, eagles seriously hunt around wherever these cormorants nest. Formerly, great cormorants did not nest in New England, but in recent years have been found nesting here. Uh, she also noted that uh, this cormorant is the one that's often used in China by fishermen. The bird wears a collar around its neck that prevents it from swallowing any fish it catches. The fishermen take the fish and then sell them or eat them. The bird, of course, gets to keep a fish every now and then, so it keeps fishing. And then she notes that she watched them do this when she was in China a few years back. The two men... The men carried two birds on a pole stretched across their shoulders. So they have been doing that for a long time. All right, you've made it through the Down East Mike podcast for the 18th of October 2023. And we will send you out the door with a weather forecast uh, for today. Patchy fog between 7 a.m. and uh, 9 a.m. Uh, other words, during the commute. Otherwise, mostly sunny with a high near 59. Calm wind becoming south around 5 miles per hour in the afternoon. For Thursday, patchy fog again, otherwise mostly sunny with a high near 63. It's pretty warm for this time of year. Looking out ahead Friday, a 30% chance of showers. And then it looks like some uh, rain moving in for the weekend. Well, that is the Down East Mike podcast for today. I hope that you and your loved ones enjoy a day that is full of Grace, love, and kindness. Until next time, 
We'll see you. I'm a dreamer Hanging out between waves I can see what's coming Can't wait to get home to you.